0: This morning, I'd like to look at a passage out of Matthew 6. Matthew 6, and if you would turn your Bibles to this. This is a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. We break in, oh, I don't know, maybe halfway into the written record of that sermon. I uh, was thinking when I, when I was looking at this passage, I also had some thoughts running through my mind. And, and one of them was this. I, I was at a meeting one time when I met this young fellow. And uh, we shook hands and, and uh, he said, uh, how are you doing, brother? And I said, I'm doing fine. And he said, well, are you on fire for God? And I said, well, I think I'm on fire for God. Well, we're on fire for god here brother we're on fire for god and uh so god bless him i i wasn't exactly sure what he meant you know we're on fire for god and the thought kind of stood stayed with me you know what exactly does mean does it mean to be on fire for god um, does it mean that you know a certain kind of style of worship or does it uh you know where, where do you where do you get where do you go in the Bible to find a spiritual reference for someone being on fire for god uh, we I think we kind of have the the feel of of what that is it's the idea there i guess of being on fire for God is that we're we're not sitting still we're we've got this inside of us uh, I remember reading or hearing a funny story about a donkey that this farmer bought and uh, he he bought it took it home put it into a harness and was getting ready to plow and and the donkey wouldn't move It, it would not move off the spot it wouldn't budge and this farmer got angry he used a whip on the donkey he yelled at the donkey he kicked the donkey the donkey wouldn't move so finally he went and and grabbed some kindling and put it underneath the donkey and he lit a fire and then the donkey moved when that heat started that donkey decided it's time to get out of there now whether he ever plowed or not i don't know but we hope that we don't need to be on fire that way that god needs to be doing that to us lighting a fire underneath us so as to speak um but what does it mean to be on fire um and and this was a personal thing for me um, you know, is it we tend to, we tend to maybe we're, we're, as people, we tend to be very aware of what other people think of us and expect of us. and peer pressure influences us. It, it gets to us. And if we're not careful, oh, it's easy for us to quickly try to do try to do or be what other people around us expect us to be or to do and i don't think that's really peer pressure good peer pressure it's good it can help route us keep us in the keep us focused at the same time i don't think that's what that's what uh, where god would want us to be being on fire the same way everyone else is on fire he 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 wants us to to be uh, to be actually godlike he wants us to to be doing His will and be being His people, His person. And and this is where my thought was when I when I was reading this portion, um, reading through the whole Matthew five. You can see what God wants us to be. It's it's very obvious there. He makes it very clear. But cutting into the to, to the sermon here on, in chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. So obviously, and if you read history, but just from this passage here, there was there were people doing alms, giving money to people in the street that that were being trumpeted. I think uh, you know this this really happened. They they may have had small trumpets. Uh, it would seemed to have been a Persian custom for maybe even a religious custom for uh, beggars to have a sort of small instrument that when they were given money, they would trumpet and let people know that they had received from this kind person and to glorify that that person that had given them money. And Jesus says, don't do that. He says, uh, those people that do it for the glory, they get their reward, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thine left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. I was reading this and I was thinking, uh, you know, how human, how proud for a person to be going through the street and giving money just to be able to have themselves trumpeted and be exalted that way. And then I was reminded of a time when we were in Romania and I was responsible for giving out CAM bundles. These are bundles of of clothing and of food for poor people. And I I remembered how good it made me feel when these people would say nice things about me for giving, you know, for channeling this food their way. We especially had one man. His name was Nitsu Petru. Um, he was a needy person. He he was a man with two children with. Uh, Cerebral palsy type of condition. Both of them were bedfast. His wife had passed away. He was poor, um, very poor, and but he was also very concerned about his two children. They were grown children. Maybe one was 17, the other one 24, something like that. Both bedfast, couldn't talk, uh, couldn't. Help themselves in any way. Uh, so, any of you know that you know, taking care of of uh, bedfast people who can't help themselves know how difficult this is. And and we help them by supplying pampers and also supplying uh, uh, food boxes. And and this Nitsu Petru, he was always a pleasure to take to take goods to. I'd get to the door, he was God blessing me he was and and he he was just so grateful you know and and when i after i when I was getting ready to leave, he wouldn't leave, let me leave until he had stood up and he was praying and and uh blessing myself and my family and the organization that was helping and all the people around and you know, I just felt like a very blessed person by the time I went out the door and there was nothing wrong with that. He was, you know, he was grateful and he was pouring out his love and, and gratitude, showering me with it and, and those involved. But I remember that feeling, you know, It, it uh, he he would make me an instant hero. If I took family to visit him or took, you know, supportive people uh, from the States, our supporters or whatever, to visit him, he'd, he'd make me out to be an instant hero. And, and that... You know that always gave kind of a good feeling too, and and that wasn't his problem. That was my problem. Um, it's a it's a human factor there. We we love to be praised. We love to be. It just feels good. Maybe some of you don't, uh, but I think it's pretty much across the board. We love to feel praised and adored and and so forth. It's a human nature thing, and the Pharisees liked it too. They really. They liked it. They thrived on it. And Jesus cut right into the to the bone there, and he said, "You know, that's not why you give to feel good, to get this praise. It's, in fact, try to give in secret. Do your alms in secret. Um, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's pretty drastic, there. Don't even let your no- left hand know what your right hand's doing." So what are alms? I'm looking at this as an exposition. What are alms? Alms are generally thought of as goodwill towards widows to orphans, uh, to those people in society that have great need, that don't have the means to, to take care of themselves. Jesus also, in another passage, said the poor ye have always with you, which would indicate that alms are also for people that were physically or mentally impaired and unable to care for themselves. What about us in our society? How do we view alms or how do we go about giving alms? We have these social safety nets, social security, welfare, other means of meeting the needs of people. So, you know, how do we go about giving alms here? It's not like it is if you go to... Central American country where you have beggars out in the street or East Europe where you have the same thing. I remember beggars being there and, uh, you know, it was easy to drop a coin, to drop a bill into their little bowl and to keep on going. Um, What about us? Is this a relevant passage for us? to? Should we be giving alms? Or should it all be, you know, Directed toward uh, the church and, and you know through through what other ever other a- avenues like uh, say like uh, charity organizations. Well, I believe we are where we are, and uh, there are times when we see needy people when we can give alms here right in the in our people right around us. But I I don't think we should wait. If, if those people don't come up I don't think we should wait and just not give alms if those don't come if they aren't right in front of our eyes we should be looking for we should be uh working with charity organizations we should find an organization that we feel like meets the the criteria scriptural criteria of giving to people in need no matter what their belief or status is in life just helping uh, we also have social security. If we pay social security, I guess if we pray, when we give that, that is a that is a means of, of giving alms. It's a means of helping for greater good. We can turn, I believe that, you know, that due that we're to pay into something that can can be a uh, a a godly thing. Now, I'm not saying, <clears throat> I'm sure there'd be difference of opinion there, but... Um, We should be doing all to the glory of God. So in that way, we can give alms that way, I believe. You know, what is wrong? Inherently, what is wrong with giving alms to be seen of men? Why did Jesus, I had to think of that. Why did Jesus address that here? Uh, Number one, or why wouldn't it work very well? Number one, if we... Give alms to be seen in men. There's that saying that goes the squeakiest wheel gets the most attention, right? So the, the praisiest uh, alms receiver would get the most attention. So, you know, that's just mechanically speaking. The maybe giving alms to the to the one that praises the most uh, wouldn't end up helping, distributing the help or the yeah, the alms like like it like we should. Um, in other words, the uh, the one that can blow his trumpet the loudest would get more than his fair share of help. The giver giving alms from the from the praise to me aspect, the giver is receiving praise, or in his receiving praise, denies the true giver, God, his rightful adoration. It comes to me, to you, if we do that, instead of going to God, who really deserves the praise. And the giver, it says, loses his uh, eternal blessing. It says his reward is right there instead of being treasures being laid up in heaven. It denies the needy, the connection to God that that, that we should be helping them to see the true giver of all good gifts, as well. Giving in secret. I'm trying to make this practical. I've thought of this, <clears throat> and I'm not sure if I have all the answers for this. Giving in secret. How secret is secret? This is a question many people grapple with. How secret is secret? Should the IRS know about our almsgiving? So is could they be could they be our, our right hand or the left hand, not knowing what the right is doing, or vice versa? <clears throat> I guess you could ask Norman about that. Uh, <clears throat> are we taking out our eternal reward when we put our contributions into our tax form as a deduction? Now, I think these are um, questions that. Maybe don't merit a lot of time. Is it okay to put checks in the offering? You know, what uh, could that be? Letting the your left hand know what your right hand is doing. These are maybe practical questions that uh, that we'll all face to varying degrees. Certainly, uh, our quiet collections, the kind of collections that we take, and the private disbursements that we use or that are made by our uh, brothers who are honest and trusted and ethical servants of God is far different from, the, from its core from the God of the temple offerings where people were trumpeting their offerings and where much ado was made when gifts were being given. Uh, I believe the much larger question here, even when we look at these smaller questions, is... Uh, what kind of heart do we have for the needy? When God brings a person of need in our way, uh, that we can make a difference in that person's life, a person that we can really make a difference in his life, what's our response? If it's, you know, if I'll help, if that's our attitude, I'll help if there's something in it for me, somewhere something in it for me. Uh, if, and that attitude can come through so easily and so quickly. Uh, if, that's, you know, if there's any seed of that in our hearts, then we've become pharisaical. We've become just like Jesus was talking about of these people here that give their alms for the glory of it, for the trumpeting that they get out of it. If our hearts are touched and we can give genuinely and with love for our fellow men, because we really do feel for them. We really appreciate what God has done for us, and we want to spread that blessing on. We'll be blessed. Our Heavenly Father will bless us, and He'll bless the recipient if our hearts are touched with love of God and for the love of our fellow men. We'll be blessed by our Heavenly Father, and the recipient will be blessed by us, and also that blessing will go on out, the heavenly Father will bless them as well. And then he goes on in, and when thou prayest, when thou prayest, uh, surely we don't have a problem with praying, do we? I don't have a problem with praying, do I? What does it say about? It? What does Jesus say here? Thou shall not be as the hypocrites are. What are the hypocrites? For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. That they, be, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. So the hypocrites here, they're, they're praying that, they're praying in this, they love to pray in the synagogues, it says, and in the corners of the streets. There's nothing wrong with praying in our church, is there? Really, there's nothing wrong with praying in the corners of the streets. But it's it goes to this part here, that, that they may be seen of men. They're praying so that they can, people will notice them. This goes back to the same idea here as the giving of alms, blowing the trumpet. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. Our prayers are meant to be a communication between us and God. Not some sort of show of our fidelity to our fellow men. Or to our, not some sort of show of our faith or the passion or how we're on fire. I don't believe that's what God means our prayers to be. It, our prayers are meant to be a communication between us, the individual, or us collectively as a congregation and, and God. It's a mode of communication, not a, a, uh, a show or a, a way of, of uh, beating the drum, so as to speak. What about public mealtime prayers? I was always taught by my folks that when you're in a restaurant, the food comes to you, that you pray. Well, here again, it goes back to this, that they may be seen in men. I have a problem with people, and I've seen it happen, by, I believe, well-meaning people who've said loud prayers, loud enough that the whole restaurant could hear. But they were blessing their food. You know, it seems to me that that doesn't fit with Jesus' words here, where he says, your prayers are to be between you and the Heavenly Father. Now we think of Daniel. Daniel, in the Old Testament, remember he was, he could have, let's say that he could have looked forward to Jesus' words here and said, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be praying in secret. And so therefore, now that I know that these bad men want to come and they want to catch me praying out my Easterly window uh, and want to take an accusation to the king, I'll therefore close the window up so they can't see me. That way I'll be in secret. Well, Daniel was, that was a whole different scenario there. Daniel was praying out of conviction. He didn't change what he had been doing for years and years. That was his way of communicating with God. He wasn't doing it for show. He didn't start it for show. He did it because it was his way of communicating with God. And that people saw that wasn't his problem. That people uh, took that and went and did what they did with it. It wasn't his problem. They only saw into his conviction. And if people around us see into our conviction, they see us praying, they see us doing, they see us being, then that's what God would have us to be. God would have them to see that. He would have them to see people around us communicating with Him. Uh, not in a loud, gaudy way, to be praised of men, but in a way that brings glory to God in communication with God. Verse 6, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward the openly. Prayer is not to be, I believe a principle here is that prayer isn't to be infringed on by our surroundings, by the love of the world, by personal ambition, by admiration of others. Just going back here, I'd covered this in some in in, uh, from verse 5. We're supposed to be This, I think, is as much about us pushing out the influences, the evil influencers or just unnecessary influences that would tend to come in and crowd God out of our lives as anything. To go into our closet, to communicate with God, to be able to push out uh, those things that would distract us, distract our attention with God. Use not, uh, verse 7, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the what do, as the heathen do. That Jesus was speaking here to a group of people who were Jewish. And heathens were heathen. They were dogs. They were bad, uh, unclean. So when Jesus said this, he said, Don't use vain repetition as a heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. One thought that came to my mind when I was looking at this is, we were at a—I was at a sale last Saturday, and there was this auctioneer up there, and he was doing a fine job. You could hear what he was saying; it came across. You, if you bid, you knew what you were bidding on and how much. And uh, I just thought he was doing a good job. I've been to a number of auctions in my growing up years, and in the Midwest where I grew up, why. They talk a little faster than they do here. Uh, they tend to, to uh, move things along a little more quickly. Well, I was enjoying this eastern auctioneer. I thought he was doing a great job. And uh, I guess he got tired of auctioning and, and Phil, a replacement, stepped up. And so I was, you know, 50 yards from the auctioneer and had been able to hear the other one just fine. And this new one got up there. and All of a sudden I heard this, bum blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. Then I'd hear a number. Going. I looked at a guy, another friend there I was talking to, and I said, It looks like it's one of these auctioneers that was schooled to mumble. Uh, so you can't understand them. And uh, I had to think of that. You know, that, that second auctioneer, no longer at that the distance I was from, him, could I understand, could I make out a could have I made out, you know, to even bid. Because he is he was somehow. Not articulating or articulating in a way that only he could really understand, you know is that the way that God would feel when we come to him and maybe we're on our knees and we're our minds are going 90 miles an hour one way, and our words are kind of trying to supposed to be steered this way and, and we're maybe say thre, something three times before we realize that you know we're way off somewhere else uh, Doesn't it denigrate God for for us to do that? His very nature. They think they shall be heard for their much speaking. I recall being at a service one time when there was um, a young man beside me. And we came to prayer, and I wasn't used to this, and I don't want to be critical of it, uh, but I think it would have fit into this category. There was, um, we were praying and and, uh, and then I noticed that the same things were being said over and over again. And just, you know, a little bit later with a little more fervor and a little more fervor. And the pitch kept going up and up. And I had to think, you know, is, is this how we glorify God? Is this, is this how we, uh, does God understand that? Is that what he wants of us? Is that what we call being on fire? I don't think so. Uh, I think being on fire has about us being in a good relationship with God. Verse eight it says, Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, And this explains verse seven, why he says that, Before ye ask. I think Jesus here is saying it, it it really denigrates the very nature of God when his children go into something other than just original communication. God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. From their very innermost being, and I'm paraphrasing this, from their very innermost being and in purity, when we worship God, it needs to come from our being in a good relationship with God, or our being wanting to draw close to God. It needs to come from inside, from our soul. Uh, That is the first commandment, isn't it? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And then the second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. So to love the Lord our God from our soul, heart, strength, and mind. God is a spirit. When we worship him, he expects our worship to come from within. And in purity and truth, it needs to be something that is really... um, Part of us, and not something we put on or fall. Not se- not seeking, not us somehow seeking self glory or fulfillment. You know, does this mean that we, when we come to pray, that uh, you know, having read those these verses, that when we come to pray, that therefore our prayer should be shortened to the point, and you know, God, maybe you could say it this way: uh, God, you know all about me. Help me as you see fit. Amen. You know, is that what Jesus is saying here? Because he knows all about us and so forth. Uh, You know, if that's your prayer, that's a good place to start. And uh, I'd say keep on working at it. But um, really, prayer is communication again. Is there a reason to spend much time in prayer? It says Jesus spent lots of time in prayer. Is there a reason to spend much time with a good friend or with your spouse or with someone you wish to become more like? My wife and I like to spend lots of time together. We enjoy that. Um, it's, not always, it's not always that we're talking a lot or that sort of thing. We may just be reading together. We may be taking care of the children together. We're making supper together. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. With those people that you love, that you want to become more like, you want to be with, you spend time with. And that's how I believe prayer is. God speaks to us through his word. We communicate to him through prayer. We talk to God. We tell him what's on our mind very honestly, very candidly. Um, there's nothing that God is going to blush about. He wants to know what's on our mind. He wants to know what's troubling us. He wants to know, He wants us to articulate, I believe, our innermost thoughts, our innermost being to Him. This isn't vain repetition. This isn't saying, you know, something over and over again and raising it to a fervor. But this is simply... Pouring out our heart to God. And God wishes to speak to us through his word. There's other ways he speaks to us, I believe. He can speak to us through nature. Sometimes he speaks to us through thoughts that come to our mind from study of the word or from there's there's different ways. But it's it's really important and time is not a negotiable ingredient. It's not a negotiable ingredient in building a relationship with our relationship with God. It's not something that we can push to the side and, and buy something in place. Time is of the essence, well, it's the essential ingredient. Time in studying the word, time in reflection. Of the word and how it speaks into our lives. We read it. We see it. We think about it. How What it's saying to me. Uh, how it's speaking to me as I look into it. Time in articulating our thoughts to our Heavenly Father. These things don't just come instantly. At least not for me. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes uh, meditation in the Word of God, time in absorbing the purifying effects of the Word of God in our lives. I believe we need to have time just to absorb the purifying effects of His Word in our lives. Um, This may not, you know, we may not be able to spend three hours in a closet, but I believe we can spend, you know, time wherever we're at. We have so much media available to us today as well. Songs can speak to us. The 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 uh read word of God can speak to us, people reading. Um I think just being always in prayer. What does that that, that verse talking about uh uh pray without ceasing? You know that, I think that's where this comes to as well. Pray just just having an attitude of prayer and saying, God, what will you have for me? What do you have for me? How do you want to speak to me? I was going to read the account of Elijah, but uh, I'm out of time. But just to share some thoughts there, if you remember the account of Elijah, in First 1 Kings 18.17, there where he met the uh, prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And you recall the scene there. Those prophets, if you would have seen them of Baal, you would have thought they were on fire. Wouldn't have you? They were dancing. They were trying to get, you know, the, 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 the test was whose God would come down and, and light up the sacrifice. So the, the, the uh, prophets of Baal had put out their sacrifice. And they had there all ready to be burned. And they called on Baal to to send down fire, or to burn up this sacrifice. And Elijah even goaded them. I just, I, I, I find him such an interesting figure. He even goaded them. He said, you know, maybe Baal's asleep. Maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe you need to shout a little louder. And these prophets got more on fire. And... Uh, you know, they, they got to the point where they were slashing themselves to try to get their God's attention. And by the evening, they were wore out. Their fire had burned out. And remember how that Elijah says, okay, you guys you know, move your stuff to the side here. And he set up his offering, it was a large altar. They had to bring barrels of water up and pour it around it. Uh, It was a large bullock that they put on there. And and Elijah called to his God, very simply. uh, He said, you know, God, honor your word, basically. And ask God to honor his word to, to, to show to these heathen prophets his mighty power. And God honored that. And he that fire came down from heaven and let the, the sacrifice. It's a tremendous story. It's not a story, it's a true happening that, that we've read about, probably many, many of us, many times. And it never fails to excite me when I see that the hand of God there. And, and I believe that's such a f- foundational thought with this passage here. Elijah suffered many things. He, he spent days out in the, away from everyone else. He, he, he even told God, he said, after this incident, he told God, he said, I'm the only one left that's, that's uh, proclaiming you anymore. I'm the only one left faithful to you. And God showed him there were 7,000 more that hadn't had, uh, kneeled to Baal. But those those repetitions, they didn't do anything for the, for the people of Baal. It was the relationship that counted. And I believe that's what it is when we look at this passage. It's our relationship. It's our communication, whether it's with words, with the way we live our lives. It's our being in response to God's presence in our lives that is what counts. God bless you all. I trust that you'll find... His presence, you'll communicate with him this coming week. I pray that, uh, that you would uh, learn to know him better. I pray that for myself. It's my heart cry. God bless you. I want to ask Robbie if you would close the service after a song.